Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast with our senior pastor, Ben Martinez. Don't forget to check out our website at calvarychapellubbock.church. There you'll find a lot more about our mission to love God, love people, and live radically. Now here's Pastor Ben. Now, by way of reminder, church, Psalm 119, if you're taking notes or you don't have it anywhere, remember it's divided into 22 parts. We call them stanzas, 22 stanzas, and they're noted by the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. Okay, Each stanza contains eight verses, so each stanza, and the first letter of each verse that gives to the name of the stanza. So as we look at, for example, if we'll look at uh, Yain, or we look at Pi, or we look at Sadie, or any of those ones, that's how it's kind of stands, it, it, it just starts that first letter. Now, if you're taking note, I want to remind you, and I think this is important, The psalm encompasses the meditation of God's word, and listen to me, to the obedience of God's word. You see, we talked about meditating on God's word and what that means and how we're supposed to grow as believers. And when we meditate on the word of God, well, guess what, church? A lot of the other stuff and a lot of the other junk is filtered out. We're meditating on the word of God. And that does something to us. And and the first thing we notice it does is it brings obedience to our heart. You know, when it comes to the things in life and when it comes to, hey, what do I need to do next? Or God, what, where's the guidance? We always go back to the word of God. And yet, in the world today, we see that social media seems to rule the roost. This is what we need to do. Well, this person on Pinterest is doing that, or this person on Facebook is doing this, and so forth. What the, what the psalmist is saying and is encouraging us for throughout the years is, again, we need to meditate, meditate on the word of God. And one of the key applications we learned is that we are to walk in the ways of the Lord. Can I get an amen? amen. So you go, what does it mean? Well, if you look up the word walk, it actually means it's a habitual pattern of living. That's what walk means, an habitual pattern of living. Now, if you recall, several weeks ago, we talked about habits. There are passive habits, things that we learn just by being passive, and then there are active habits, things we do so that we can develop a habit. The word here is an active habit, and here's the question that I've got to ask. You go, what's that, Pastor? What active habits are in place? What active habits are engaging that we're engaging in today that are helping us to walk closer to God. And you go, well, why is that important? I mean, passive habits of listening to, hey, I listen to the radio, I listen to worship, or maybe I'll put on a podcast every now and then. No, no, no. What active habits are drawing us, are we doing? And you go, what do you mean? Well, it would be nice, and you've heard me say this, is take your Bible, put it under your pillow, and pray that the knowledge in Scripture would would seep through your brain, and then you'd be able to be obedient. That doesn't work. That's not an active habit. An active habit is getting out and reading it, and, and laboring over it, letting it read you, letting the things just come in and start to... Oh, 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 let's, let's take, tick, tick, tick. oh, 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 that hurts, Lord. Okay, okay. But, but that's what we need to do. See, that's going to draw us closer to God. Why is that important? Have you seen our world today? We need to draw closer to God. We need to be keeping our eyes ready for the Lord's return. 
I don't want to be caught sleeping. I don't want to be caught, what? what? Wait, 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 I wasn't ready. Because that's exactly what we've been studying on Sunday morning. Matthew, and he's going, be rosh, be ready. Come on, guys, It's here it is. I want these active habits. I need to put the things of the Lord in place in my life. Because I need the foundation. And when, and when the world begins to squeeze me in my new jobs and my new, new atmosphere and the things that I'm doing and family and whatever it might be, when the world starts to squeeze, I've got to have the foundation of the Word of God. If not, I'm going to crumble. And this is exactly what he's talking about. He says, are you walking with God? Do you have an active habit that you're engaging in? Well, pastor, like what? Well, how about prayer? Talking to God. Seeking him, asking for his guidance. I mean, that's, that's so important, right? What about, what about Bible reading? Well, I read my Bible, you know. No, no, no. But do you really read your Bible? You see, if we're being honest in church, there are times that we'll take our Bible, we'll open it up, we'll read it, and we'll get nothing out of it. We, we've read, we've, we've done our due diligence. I've read my Bible. And the Lord comes and he's so gentle and loving. He says, hey, what did you, what did you get out of that? And you're like, deer in the headlights. Oh. And it's not that he's trying to go and, 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 and just be legalistic. What he's wanting us to do is grow in that growth because we're going to need that in our lives. And what I found is when the Lord begins to speak to me through his word, it's usually for me and for somebody else. I'll get a call. A friend will speak to me and say, hey, I'm going through this. I'm going through that. And you go, oh, by the way, I just read something today that really can minister to you. I think that's important. We need, church, listen, we need to put active habits in place to grow. Is that not the true, the same thing in marriage? We need to put active habits in marriage so we can grow and blossom in our marriage. Another lesson we learned as we went through the whole Psalm 119 is about prayer. About prayer. And see, prayer is the key theme to, to this entire psalm. And if we remember, guys, when hard times come, prayer should never leave. And I don't mean the five-minute prayer, God, get me out of this one, Lord, get me out. If you get me out of this, Lord, I, uh, man, I'll just serve you, I promise. Amen. I'm talking about prayer. And I'm also talking in prayer, try to find the blessing, the hidden blessing when we're afflicted. I don't understand. Where's the hidden blessing? Oh, there it is. There it is. Because what does prayer do? Prayer draws you closer to God. Prayer increases your faith. How so? Well, think about it. Who you pray to? You have to believe. You're trusting that God is hearing you. And what I love is that God never gives a busy signal. He never, it's never recording, you know, hey, call back later. I'll get back to you. He hears us. He's God. It's the most amazing thing. But the Bible says when we as saints pray, it's like sweet, sweet incense going up into the nostrils of God. He's sitting there going, ah, they believe. They believe. We're going to see in the last stanza a crying out to God in 
prayer. Well, tonight we finish up the last three. The last three letters of the Hebrew alphabet. So, we're going to pick it up in verse in verses 153. This is the 20th stanza. The Hebrew letter is Resh, R-E-S-H, Resh. Now, Resh in the Hebrew letter focuses on the psalmist cry, the psalmist plea that God will save him. There's, there's always this like, oh. Now, again, we can talk about salvation in the general sense where we need to be saved, saved from our sins, saved from ourselves. But also, too, he's talking about saved from my enemies. And we'll look a little bit deeper in that. Three times, church, he repeats his request for his life to be preserved. We see that in verses 154, 156, and 159. And he also asked the Lord to deliver and redeem his life. So all of that. Now, what he also does, the psalmist, as he writes, will contrast the greatness of God's mercy with his numerous enemies. That's important. Why? Because he'll use the Hebrew word rav and re, and it means many or much. So we'll see that. So that's when we pick her up. Notice, the psalmist is, is again, crying out, and what does he say? Notice in verse 153 in your Bibles. He says, Consider my affliction and deliver me, for I do not forget your law. Plead my cause and redeem me. Revive me according to your word. Now, your attention, please. The psalmist comes up and he starts with the word consider. If you're taking note, it's the Hebrew word ra'ah, ra'ah. And it means to look upon, to behold. And what the psalmist is asking is to, is the Lord to consider, look upon. What's he asking? Lord, look upon my, what, well, my need? Yeah. But he says it right here. He says, look upon my affliction. Do you guys see that in your Bible? If you look up the word affliction, I find it very interesting because it can mean several different things. One of them could mean depression. Depression. He's saying, look at me. I'm really down. I'm really depressed. Consider my depression. Consider my misery is another word. And another word could be trouble. Trouble. Look upon my suffering, the psalmist says, and rescue me. For I have not forgotten your instructions. Oh, later on in this text, we're going to see that he's going to ask the Lord to revive him. But I love the word ra'ah because it appears three times in this stanza, that ra'ah. And the psalmist asks God to notice him because of his faithfulness. Now, let's chat for just a moment. I want you to see that the psalmist realizes that God is his strength and is in need of rescue. Why? Well, I want you to think about that in our own lives. You see, we would probably look at the psalmist and go, wow, what a saint of God. Wow, you, you, you have been walking with God, but I think it's okay to call upon the Lord when we're facing affliction, when we're facing depression. To, to be honest with God. You see, being depressed in this world is somewhat taboo. Oh, wait a minute. What does that mean? And sometimes Christians go through a dark time. They go through a dark season of the soul and it's okay to go, God, look upon my need. 
God, I'm crying out to you. People will come up to you and say, just pull yourself up. Come on, just, and you want to. But you need the help of the Lord. There are times that we are facing misery. We're just miserable. We're just miserable. And the psalmist says that eventually he's going to tell us why he's facing this misery or depression or the affliction. How so? We're going to see wicked enemies. We're going to see persecutors. We're going to see all of these things. But I started thinking about, for just a second, guys, I started thinking about um, misery. And, and I wanted to draw some application into our lives. Misery, right? Lord, consider my, why am I miserable? Ever feel that way? Why am I, why am I in this misery? Well, I went on the internet and I found five things that I think that can lead us into misery in our lives. Five things, right? This is opposite of, hey, let me give you some things that you can grow with. Let me tell you what five things that will drive you to misery. You go, what's that? Number one, jot this down, where you cling to entitlement. You cling to entitlement. I deserve, that's mine, I, right? And, and something happened in the generation of my children. You see, when I played baseball or softball, that was the beginning, or football, that was the beginning of, hey, you, you did get a trophy for just being part of the team, but it wasn't just how we've moved into entitlement. Where now, people, they cling to that, I'm entitled. We as Christians should never, ever cling to entitlement. Number two, you want an easy trip to misery? Take everything personally. Take everything personally. Well, they said something, oh, that's personal. Don't take everything so personally. If you want to be miserable, everything that's said about you, whether joking or not, and come on, guys, we live in a world today, I cannot believe it. No matter what the situation is, if it was meant to be a joke, this half of the room is going to take it very personal and be offended. Come on, somebody. This half of the room is going to go, no, 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 it was just a joke. Didn't mean anything by it. Well, they said it, and now that's and that's what you have, no matter what. And so, what we found is people can't be people anymore. You can't say anything. And yes, I understand. Sometimes you make a bad joke. You say something. Oh, in context, you go, "Oh, that was not good. That was a bad joke." Okay, I'm sorry. But sometimes it's just you being you. And people take everything personally. Let me give you number three. Focus on problems. Focus on the problems. You see, the psalmist is going to say, turn your eyes upon him. Turn your eyes to Jesus. And the world says, man, you want to be miserable? Focus on your problems. Well, I'm not only entitled, but oh, woe is me. I have this going on, and I have this going on, and I have this happening, and here's my problem, and here's my problem, and here's my problem. Let me give you number four. 
It says, magnify. Magnify? Yeah. You ready? Make mountains out of molehills. Make mountains out. You want to be miserable? Make mountains out of molehills. That's an easy way. And I thought, you know what? As Christians, we need to not do that. And number five, feel no gratitude. What do you mean? Focus on your disappointments, your mistakes, and your failures, and be certain to completely dismiss any success and any happiness. Thank God the psalmist isn't like that. His, his misery, his depression, his affliction is going to come from his enemies. But you go, well, Ben, what should we do then? I don't want to do these five things. I don't want to cling to entitlement. I don't want to take everything personally. I don't want to focus on my problems. I don't want to magnify, make mountains out of molehills. And I, don't, I definitely want to have an attitude of gratitude. What should I do? Well, the psalmist says, revive me. How? According to your word. Revive me. The word revive there means make alive. Make me alive, Lord, according to your word. How so? Can I tell you that I know a handful of people that will only feel alive if they're miserable? They'll only feel alive if they're miserable or if there's drama in your life. And you're like, there's always drama. And, and, and they love it and they seek drama. Because it makes them feel alive. The psalmist says, Lord, I need to feel alive according to your word. According to your word, church. And he says this again. Notice what he says in these verses. Consider my affliction. Deliver me. I don't forget your law. Plead my cause. Now, before he asks for Revival, notice what he says. He says, plead my cause. If you have a pencil handy, circle that word. That's a court word. It's a court word, and it, and, and it basically means uh, defend me the way a lawyer would uh, defend a client. Stand up and plead my case. Here, you know, that, that's what he says. Plead my cause case plead my case how wonderful it is that we have a god that would defend us the bible says that jesus is our advocate he's our defense attorney when the enemy comes and says no 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 i saw what you did i saw how you treat i saw the words that came out of your mouth i saw your attitude it's all sin jesus stands up and says yes yes but i paid for that that's my kid. No, it's not fair. It's definitely fair. He's mine. He's mine. And church, if you have nothing to rejoice about, that's something you should rejoice in. We have an advocate to the Father that looks down and says, no, 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 no. No. This is what he's saying. Argue my case, Lord. Take my side. He says, protect my life as you promised. Now let's see why. Look at verse 155. Salvation is far from the wicked, for they do not seek your statues. Great are your tender mercies, O Lord. Revive me according to your judgments. Many are my persecutors and my enemies, yet I do not turn from your testimonies. 
The first thing he says in verse 155, he says salvation. I looked up that word salvation and it means to be saved. It means to be saved. But it also means to be delivered and victorious. So I love that. So he's saying, listen, listen, make me victorious. Help me to win far away from my enemies, far away from my enemies. You see, the wicked here, I want you to notice this, guys. The wicked here, they're far from salvation. If you were to click on the TV today and you would see what's going on in the world, you'd go, oh, Oy vey, I can't believe what's happening. I can't believe. And, and, and you often wonder what's going on in somebody's spiritual heart when you see the evilness and the wickedness of what they're doing. What they're doing. I heard today a story about a judge who... Okay, so this is the wickedness of this man. The wickedness of this man, he went into a little grocery store, little convenience store, armed robbery with a gun, okay, got caught, went to jail. The jail didn't have a bed or a pillow, and the judge, this is a true story, this is a true story, the judge called a mistrial because the robber didn't have a good night's sleep. He had the gun and was was threatening bodily harm. This is the world we live in, church. Why do you tell us that? We need to be aware of what's happening in our world. True story. I was like, what? What? Isaiah tells us, woe to you who call evil good and good evil. And that's exactly what the judge did. The judge said, no, 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 no. You don't have any rights, Mr. Law-abiding citizen, going and doing your job, trying to make a living. But he didn't have a better pillow. And let him go. Let him go. The wicked are far from salvation. Now notice the reason, right? Notice the reason. Why? Why are they not? He says, for they do not seek your statues. The wicked people aren't seeking God's statues, but the psalmist reminds us as the way he writes, they can be saved if they would seek the God of heaven and his word. So when we turn on the TV and we see something wicked like that. Now, I don't know who's more wicked. The guy who had the gun and was, and was, was screaming for less than a hundred bucks to the judge who's even more wicked. They can be saved, but they're going to have to turn and seek the God of heaven and his word. You see, what we must be reminded of is even though we see a lot of evil and a lot of wicked in our world, the Lord stands with a forgiving heart and arms wide open. And all we have to do is seek him and call out to him. How so? Well, look at verse 156. He said, great are your tender mercies, O Lord. Oh, no, the wicked are far from you, but you're so merciful. Can I get an amen? Why, why do I ask for an amen at this point? Because you and I, are, we, we're, we're thinking about the wicked. We're thinking about, oh, well, that person will never get saved unless they, get, unless they turn. Well, this person really evil. Oh, and this administration person really evil. But, but, but let's bring it home. 
Lord, thank you for your tender mercies. Because I know my heart. I know my heart. Thank you for your tender mercies, Lord. And he says, make me alive. Revive me. Revive me according to your judgments. Revive me. Lord, how great is your mercy? Let me be revived by your following regulations. Guys, the one thing we need to grasp tonight is we need to be made alive. We need to be born again according to the word of God. Now, let's chat for just a moment, okay? I want to talk really quickly about being born again. You've heard that before, right? Nicodemus, Nick at night, goes to the Lord, you know, what, what, what must I do? He says, you need to be born from above. Come on, somebody. Okay, born from above. Now, we hear that all the time. That's the gospel message. This is what we're saved. All of us in this room should be born from above. We're born again, made alive. Well, what was made alive? Well, you know our spirit was made alive when we accepted Christ. When we believed, our spirit came alive. You see, up until that point, it was dead. We were born with a dead spirit. We have a soul and we have a body and we have a spirit, but until we give our lives to Jesus Christ, come on, somebody, we're not alive. Our bodies are alive, but we don't think in the spiritual realm. Okay? So, what does it mean to, to be made alive through Jesus Christ? Well, we as humans are made up of a body, a soul, and a spirit. And when we're born again, here's what I want you to catch. Our spirit is now made alive. Something inside you. Oh, it's your spirit. Your spirit then does what? Your spirit then influences your soul. Well, what's my soul? It's your mind, your emotions, your thoughts, and your actions. That's your soul. Okay? Which in turn control our behavior. You guys understand? So what happens when somebody comes forward and says a sinner's prayer? The very first thing I say is words alone aren't sufficient to save. Because they're not. God has to do the work that births a brand new spirit. The spirit then has to be fed. So it can change the direction of your soul. This is why you see somebody go, I got saved. I got saved when I was eight years old. And when I turned 16, I just partied and I did not into drugs and I did this. And you're like, well, I thought you were saved. But you gotta feed the spirit. The fear, the spirit will then control the soul and your soul will then control the behavior of your body. No, no, no. I better not do that. That's not right. That's not pleasing to the Lord. So, so important. Which takes us back to the meditation of the word of God. Why? Well, what happens when you don't feed your spirit? What happens when you don't feed your spirit? What happens when you begin to feed the flesh all the time? Well, then it's going to control your soul and your behavior. Are you saying I'm not saved? I'm not saying that. Let me make that clear. But what I am saying is now you're living a life with your spirit not really controlling. And so when he says, revive me according to your word, this is where we need to look. Lord, 
Lord, I need to be born again, and I need to feed my spirit. How do we feed our spirit? We feed our spirit through the word of God. We feed our spirit through the teaching. You see, that's why at Calvary, it's a Bible teaching church. This is why I say, are you taking notes? Why? Because, guys, you're going to go back to this, and you're going to look at it and go, oh, yeah, I remember this. I know some of us were brought up where you don't write in books, but we should be marking up our Bibles. We should be highlighting it. It should be a mess. Why? Because it says, a Bible that's falling apart usually belongs to someone who's not. And you should be going, yeah. Oh, I would love that you had great memories. I wish we had, oh, I remember. We don't, so we have to take notes. We have, to, we have to little triggers in our Bibles to go, oh, I remember this. You see, in your Bible, church, you'll be able to go, I don't know exactly where it is, but I know it's on the right-hand side, I know it's on the top, and I remember highlighting it with an orange marker. And you, oh, there it is, there it is. And, and again, those are those things. Those are those things. Make sure that we're feeding our spirit. Why? Because it influences our mind and our emotions. And it influences our thoughts. We don't think the same anymore. Do you remember before you got saved? Now I don't want you to go get all crazy. Don't think about your BC days. It's totally different. You would punch somebody in the throat before you even looked at him twice back in the day. Come on, someone. But now you're Different. Why are you different? Because you're born again. And now it controls your behavior. That's the reason we don't drink and do drugs and all of these other vices that hurt us because we go, no, no, no. I want to be obedient to God's word. Well, he keeps going. Notice in verse 158, he says, notice, I see the treacherous and I'm disgusted. Why? Because they do not keep your word. Consider how I love your precepts. Revive me, O Lord, according to your loving kindness. The entirety of your word is truth. And every one of your righteous judgments endures forever. Do you see that? Here's why. He says, I see the treacherous. I see the wicked. I see, I'm just disgusted. But he's not disgusted because of that. He's disgusted because they don't keep his word. And he knew if you kept his word, they could be saved. Be careful, church. Be careful that we don't pass judgment on other people because that was us. And Paul says, that were some of you. Well, I've been walking with Jesus for 40 years now. Yeah, remember when you weren't and how you thought and how you thought. See, the final verse of this stanza, guys, here portrays the essence of God's direction, grounding him in his faithfulness. Let's read it again. It says, the entirety of your word is truth. Let every one of your righteous judgment endure forever. It's the word of God. Now, I almost feel like the psalmist is goading me just a little bit from behind. You go, what does that mean? Well, you know when you're being goaded, it's that little stick that, why? Because I need to be focused more on the word of God. 
Unfortunately, sometimes I can spend minutes and hours on social media and more than the Word of God. And yet, he says, every one of your righteous judgment, he says the entirety of your word is true. So guess what? It's true. It's true. It's not Pinterest. You go, well, don't talk about Pinterest. That's my favorite. Well, sometimes when you look at a picture on Pinterest, it's Pinterest perfect, is it not? And you can never get it like that because it's not real. But the Word of God is true. The Word of God is true. You know, I was going to say this. Be careful. Be careful with the news. Be careful with what people feed you. But the Word of God is true. And it's faithful. Take everything with a grain of salt, good or bad. But the Word of God is true. Stand upon the Word of God. Well, did you see that we had aliens? Well, I don't know about that, but I know God's Word is true. Did you know that the cow jumped over the moon? Well, I don't know about that, but I'm standing on the Word of God, no matter how ridiculous it is. Where do we stand, church? On the Word of God. Don't deviate from any of that. Now we move on to the next one. The 21st stanza is also the the Hebrew letter Shin. You can spell it S-I-N or S-H-I-N or S-C-H-I-N, but it demonstrates hope in Jesus, I want you to see that in Yahweh's Yahshua, the Hebrew word implying salvation or deliverance. This is what it is. It's the hope. In the stanza, David or the psalmist, whoever it is, he emphasizes his love for Yahweh's direction, his guidance. But he also mentions joy and he mentions peace. Peace that he only finds from God. He's going to mention that. Look at verses 161, looking at Shin. He says, princes persecute me without cause, but my heart stands in awe of your word. Notice he words princes, the psalmist, the psalmist. It could be David, it could be, we don't know. But we know that, I mean, he's like, these are powerful people and they're what? They're persecuting him. So he must have been around very powerful people that looked at him and said, hey, and you know, a little bit of persecution. He says, and and they're doing it without cause. Can I just say this, church, and I don't know if you grasp this, but write this down somewhere. You go, what's that? As believers moving forward, we're going to be persecuted without a cause. Let me say that again. Moving forward... As believers, we are going to be persecuted by authorities without cause. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. I don't know if you heard our current administration's leader's speech this past the first. I don't know if any of you saw that or looked at it. But one of the things that he mentions, and I don't know if it was a slip-up or was on the teleprompter or what, but he was talking about he was talking about patriots, he's talking about Americans, but he mentions Christians in there. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Wait a minute. I don't know if you saw that. Go back and look. 
But in the midst of, I mean, this, I don't know what it was, I saw that he mentions Christians. That they're a threat to the world. Now, don't quote me, go look. But I was quite surprised, and I said, whoa, wait a minute, is this, are we getting ready to be persecuted for our beliefs? Well, you go, well, of course, Ben, because that's what Jesus told us. Jesus said, you're going to be, that they're going to hate you for my name's sake. They're going to persecute you. So what do we do? We stand ready. We stand ready, guys. The biggest thing is your foundation in the Word of God. Your love, come on church, your love for Jesus Christ has to be everything. Everything. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit. But, but when I think about this, he says, Princes persecute me without cause, but my heart stands in awe of your word. You know what this reminds me of? It reminds me of David. Why? Well, do you remember when David was being hunted by King Saul? Do you guys remember that? And Saul had no reason to chase David. There was no cause. David was not a threat to the kingdom. And yet, guess what happens? We learn that David stands on the word of God. Well, what was that? Well, let me just give you, you can watch it up there. It's 1 Samuel 24, verse 11. He says, Moreover, my father, see, yes, the corner of your robe in my hand, for in it I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you. Know and see that there is neither evil nor rebellion in my hand. I have not sinned against you, yet you hunt to take my life. You guys know the story. David's in the cave. Saul goes to relieve himself. David gets up. His, his, his mighty men are like, do it! <laughs> Kill him! Yes! God delivered him into our hands. And he's like, no, 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 no. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to honor your word because it says don't touch God's anointed god anointed so he cuts him off he just says hey look i could have i'm not sure why you're doing this and then later on in verse 14 he says after whom has the king of israel come out why whom do you pursue a dead dog a flea goes i'm nothing david says i'm nothing why are you pursuing me and then later on in first samuel 26 verse 18 he said why does the lord thus pursue his servant what have i done or what evil is in my hand. Now, if David wrote this psalm, we can understand why he writes this. But we know the author is not given. But we could see, because David would be going, this exact, princes, kings, authority, they all persecute me. They persecute me without a cause. But you know what? Here's the thing. It doesn't matter why. Because he says, my heart, my heart, yeah, my heart stands in awe of your word. So the psalmist feels like, I don't know if you feel it, but it feels like there's this major trial, okay? And in the midst of trial, in the midst of persecution, in the midst of backbiting and backtalking and, and all of this stuff, you know what this psalmist, he says, you know what, listen, um, my heart stands in awe of your word. In awe of your word. Let me say this to you, church. You ready? 
Don't let trials cause you to lose heart in God's word. Okay, I'm going to say it again. We're all about to go through trials. There's trials and different stuff. Don't let them. You guys, the first thing we do when we're, when, 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 when we're brand new believers, and you guys are not brand new believers, but the first thing brand new believers do when trials come is they run from God. Ah! Mature believers go, no, I'm going to stand upon the word of God. Let me say it like this. Trials don't allow us to lose heart in God's word. They're just trials. The psalmist goes, I'm being persecuted. I can't get in. I can't get. You know what, though? Ah, I stand in awe of God's word. Can I tell you, for me, an equivalent story to that is there are times when the ministry and life seem really stressful and there's trials and there's tribulations and, and um, you know, loving on people, it, it, it just breaks your heart when they walk away from God. Or when, like the psalmist says, is they won't repent, they won't, I'm, ugh. And then I see what's going on in the world and I see where, where again, let me just give you an example. When I see... When I see Iran and I see Russia and I see Turkey holding hands and being BFF, I know that's Ezekiel 38 and 39. I know that. There's a couple more uh, countries that are going to be involved in that. And you go, what does that mean? Well, I know exactly that God's word is true and I know he's coming back for me soon. So that's where I can stand in awe of God's word. Let me give you another one. Sometimes I can have a really bad day. Sometimes I can have just a really bad day. And I'll get the privilege of picking up my granddaughter from school. And I realize just looking at her little seven or eight-year-old, did this for years, that to me, everything else just fades away. Everything else just fades away, all of the stuff. And, and I realize, oh, wow, so cool. Because she's not going, well, Grandpa, let's talk about politics. Let me tell you about this. She's just having fun. And I say, oh, Lord, that's how, that's how you are with us. That's how you are. You know what she knows? You know what she knows? She knows Grandpa's got it all under control. She knows her mom and dad's got it all under control. She doesn't need to worry about that stuff. She knows Grandpa is fun. And I know that's how God is. God's got it all under control. Why am I worried about it? I stand in awe of God. Listen, God, listen, when God picks me up, let's go have fun. Well, God, I don't understand. He's out. That's okay. Come on, let's have fun. Same thing. Same thing. Verse 162 says, I rejoice at your word as one who finds notice. Great treasure. I hate and abhor lying, but I love your law. Seven times a day I praise you. Because of your righteous judgment. Notice he says, I rejoice at your word. How so? As one who finds treasure. I want you to circle that word, right? Because it's not just treasure. It's not like you're walking down the beach and you have the, oh, I found a watch. And that's not what it means. The word treasure here, guys, it it actually comes from, um, it's the spoil or plunder that comes from a battle. Okay, when you win the war, when you win the battle, and you steal the dude's stuff because you won, that's what it means. I took his watch. Well, that's because you won the battle. And, I, and that's what he says. He says, listen, I rejoice at your word. Why? Your word has won the battle. We're victors. 
We're not victims anymore. We have the treasure. We have the treasure, and we find great treasure. Let me ask you this. Let's just get a little bit deep here for a second. Have you ever read God's Word, and it has just... You've read it probably a hundred times, and you've read it, and you've read it, and you've been taught it, and you've heard scriptures, and then all of a sudden, you're just, you're just in a place, and you read it again, and God illuminates some stuff like a great treasure, and you're just like, oh my gosh, I gotta share this with everybody, this is, and it's just a treasure. It's so sweet. And you go, I've, how come I haven't seen that? <laughs> That's how I am with, with, with Psalm 119. I've read it. I've read the Bible through and through for 12 years. But, but studying it, wow. Wow. But he goes on and he says, I hate and abhor lying. And I wonder why he would, he would use a word like hate and abhor. Because they basically to us in the English language are the same thing. But he, he uses it twice. So I looked up the word and the word hate means it means enemy of a foe. That's what it means. Enemy of a foe. I, oh, that guy, that, oh, I just don't like them. But abhor means loathe, loathe. He loathes that. So he comes and he goes, man, that enemy, they just loathe. Why? Because of their untruth. Because of their untruth. So we know that they abhor and lie, and, and he hates and abhors lying. And if you have a pencil handy, you can put down, this is sin. Remember, the Bible says lying is a sin. It's a sin. And the psalmist says, and I, I, my enemies, all they do is lie. And I really loathe that because they're not telling the truth. They're not telling the truth. Now, why does he, why does he abhor? Why does he hate? And it, he says, why? Because... He says, I love your law. You ready? Listen, when we love the Lord Jesus and his word, the more we abhor sin. The more we love Jesus, the more we hate sin. Come on, somebody. That's the honest truth. The more we love our sin the less we love Jesus and his word. You see, it's all about love. And the psalmist here is going, you need to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and all your strength. And then when something happens and you're just like, oh, I abhor that, loathe that. Why? Because I love God's word. I love God's word. And let me just step into this into this realm because I think usually it happens because I see the sin in my own heart first. And that's church, listen to me, that's where we got to do the work. That's where we got to do the work. You see, it's real easy to point out sin in other people's life. Oh, well, you should be doing this, and you should be doing that, and how come you're not doing that? But when we love the Lord Jesus, and then he exposes the sin, that's the sin we've got to deal with first. And what we have to get past is that we're all still a work in progress. We're all, it's it's all progressive sanctification. We're still growing. And the Lord reveals something to us. It's okay to go, oh, I've got to deal with this. This is not healthy. And the church goes, oh, well, I thought you were super spiritual. Nobody's super spiritual. 
It's just us growing and saying, okay, Lord, I've got to deal with me first. I've got this sin. God, please, help me. Help me. But when we love our sin, it's it's harder to love the Lord Jesus. Now, as we move on, I want you to grasp the benefits of God and his word. These are found in these next verses. Notice what he says in 165. Great peace have those who love you. Great peace have those who love your law, and nothing causes them to stumble. Lord, I hope in your salvation, and I do your commandments. I love this. Look at the benefits. Why? Because the word peace there is shalom. Shalom conveys a notion of wholeness of well-being. It's a it's a great benefit from God and those who love him. And I found a quote from George Horn wrote about peace, and he wrote this, quote, There are peace, they are at peace with God by the blood of reconciliation, at peace with themselves by the answer of good conscience, and the subjection of those who desire which war against the soul, at peace with all men by the spirit of charity, and the whole creation is at peace with them, and all things work together for their good, end quote. He says, great peace. What a great benefit to those who love your law. And nothing, notice this, nothing will stumble them. Guys, another benefit to loving the word of God is we won't stumble. In our lives, in our walks, through salvation, we're not going to stumble. And then I looked up the word stumbles made up of two words, two very interesting words. One of them is an obstacle, and it means an offense, a stumbling block. That's what it means. But the second word is to totter or waver through weakness, especially the ankle. I thought that was interesting. That's interesting. One of the benefits, guys, is that we're not going to be offended. We're not going to be able to be, we're not going to trip over stumbling blocks, especially having weak ankles or being able out of balance is really the thing. When people stumble and fall and out of balance, we need to check. Because the word of God declared to us, and nothing causes them to stumble. To stumble. My soul, verse 167, keeps your testimonies, and I love them exceedingly. I keep your precepts and your testimonies. For all my ways are before you. Now, something you need to circle. Again, remember, he says, my soul keeps your testimonies. Now, we talked about soul, okay? And this is much deeper than behavior modification, okay? We can modify our behavior to look like a Christian, to act like a Christian, to talk like a Christian. But here the psalmist says, my soul, so my spirit is alive. My spirit is alive. I'm feeding my spirit, okay? And now it's now influencing my soul. And my soul wants to obey God's word. My thoughts, my emotions, my actions. This is what he's saying, you see, obedience to God is deep down in our soul. And I grew up, and I cut my teeth in the Christian church by this poem that reads, Two natures beat within my breast. One is cursed, and one is blessed. One I love, and the other I hate. But the one I feed will dominate. You go, what does that mean, Pastor? 
Guys, when we sow to the Spirit that now controls our soul to obey, we obey out of a love relationship with God. When we sow to the flesh, whichever one we sow to, that's what's going to dominate our lives. So we got to stop. we got to go, okay, wait a minute. I know we just have a few minutes. We have one stanza left. But here's the thing. What is controlling my life today? Is it the Spirit? Is it in tune with God? Or is it the flesh? You go, well, Pastor, I think it's the flesh. Then notice, what are you feeding? What are you feeding the flesh? What are you putting in your eye gate, in your ear gate? What do you go back to the Word of God? The final stanza, the 22nd stanza. This is the Hebrew letter, the Hebrew letter known as Ta. It's T-A-W or T-A-U. And Ta closes the psalm by emphasizing the psalmist's love for the Lord's direction. Okay, it was Charles Spurgeon who wrote, The psalmist approaching the end of the psalm in his petitions gather force and fervency. He seems to break into the inner circle of divine fellowship and come to the feet of the great God whose help he is employing. This nearness creates the most lonely view of himself and leads him close. The psalm upon his face in deepest self-humiliation, begging to be sought out like a lost sheep. We finish up with these these last stanza, the first two verses, we see that the psalmist pleads for understanding and deliverance. Notice that order. He says, let me cry. This is the prayer. Let me cry. Let my cry come before you, O Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. Let my supplication come before you. Deliver me according to your word. Guys, if you have a pencil handy, you gotta, you need to make a note here that the psalmist cries out for understanding first. It's a prayer of understanding of truth that actually precedes deliverance. How so? Well, if it was me, I would often pray for deliverance. God, save me. Get me out of this one. But this is important. Why? Because understanding the truth of God's word is much more beneficial to our walks than simply crying out for deliverance. You go, well, let me explain. In life, we need to grow in the Word of God so when hard times come, we can embrace those difficulties with the truth of God's Word. With the truth of God's Word. It's very, very important to grow and understand in God's Word before we cry out to be delivered. The psalmist cries out, deliver me. And it implies that God's word includes a commitment to rescue him according to your words. Guys, think about that. Look at verse 171. My lips shall praise you for teach me your statutes. My lips shall utter praise for you teach me your statues. Now, here's what I want you to see. And the next verse is going to talk about uh, my, my tongue shall speak. So I want to see two, two, two phrases. One of them is utter, shall utter praise. Okay. And that actually implies individually and spontaneously. So here you are. And sometimes whenever you, oh, praise God, it's just you and God. And it's that spontaneous praise to the Lord. And it might be that he does something amazing for you, or it might be just the fact that there's a beautiful sunset. 
It might be the fact that it doesn't, it's just, it's just individual. But we see later on in verse 172 that that's actually corporate. It means together. My tongue shall speak your word. And it's when we come together and we sing out loud. But one of the things we need to understand is the word of God should always be taught. We need it, the word of God to teach us to praise, to teach us to speak. And you guys know this, but at Calvary Chapel Lubbock, it's a teaching ministry. It's a teaching ministry. There's always an academic atmosphere. Okay? It's very, very important. If you'll notice on Sunday, for the most part, there's no children in our service. Why? Because the academic atmosphere is too, it goes way over their heads. It's a teaching ministry. They're taught at their level to praise. They've taught the word of God the same way, but it's not at that level where they're like, what? And that's how we are. Why? Because the word of God, we need to be taught. We need to be taught. Verse 173, let your hand become my help. For I have chosen your precepts. I long for your salvation, O Lord, and your law is my delight. Notice that. I want you to highlight that, guys, because it says, let your hand become my help, for I have chosen your precepts. I long for your salvation. Who does this remind you of? You're like, I'm not sure, Ben. This reminds me of Peter. Do you guys remember Peter? You know the story, right? There he is in the boat. He says, hey, I think that's Jesus. No, it's a ghost. No, it's Jesus. And, And Peter goes, hey, if that's you, Jesus, bid me to come. And the Lord's like, come on, let's do this. So Peter gets out of the boat, starts to walk on the water, freaks out for just a moment, and then starts to drown. Do you remember his prayer? His prayer was what? Help me! Real simple. Your hand became my help. Why? Because then Jesus reaches out his hand and pulls Peter from drowning. I thought, wow. And the Lord saved him, didn't he? He saved him from drowning, but he also saved him for greater things. And the psalmist cries out, I long for your salvation. I delight. Let me ask you this. When was the last time you really treated yourself to the word of God? I delight in your word. It's all about attitude, is it not? When we approach the word of God, are we going, oh, this is going to be great. Or we go, oh, got to do it. Got to do it. Pastor Ben's going to ask, have I been in the word? Have I, oh, oh, just my duty. No, 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 no. Here's what he says. He says, listen, I long for your salvation, God, and I delight in it. Hey, how about this? How about from now on, you read the word of God like it's a beautiful love letter to you. It's a beautiful love letter. He's talking to you. And you go, wow, that's cool. Okay, last verse, guys, last verse. The psalmist writes, I've gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. Don't you just love the humility of the psalmist? And I want us to leave here tonight with this verse on our mind. You go, why is that? Because I want you to write next to it, this is a total dependence on God. You see, for 175 verses, 
the psalmist has been going, Yay, God! Yay, God! I love his word. I love his law. I love his precepts. This is good. And here he reminds us that, Hey, Lord, sometimes my heart is prone to wander away from you. If and when I do, Lord, please come find me. Please come find me. I haven't forgotten who you are. I haven't forgotten your word. You are my help and my greatest trouble. That's what the psalmist leaves us with. So as we close, let us be reminded that although he did an incredible job pointing us to the word of God, he also reminds us that we too can go astray. We too have a heart prone to wander. And so he leaves us with a total dependence upon the Lord. Lord, if I do, come get me. Come get me. And you know what I love about God, guys? is when we start to wander, he comes to get us. Sometimes it hurts. Sometimes it hurts. Father, Tonight, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for the truth in your word and all that you, Lord, just have and all that you are in us. Lord, tonight, God, as we, as we finish it up, Lord, this beautiful psalm, 176 verses, God, I am reminded how we need to stay close to your word. Your psalmist says your word is truth, Lord. Lord, I think about the psalmist writing this. He didn't have the New Testament. He didn't have the wisdom of Paul and John and James. We do. We do. Lord, help us to be reminded, God, tonight that it's a love letter to us. And that you love us so, so much. Thank you, Lord. As we worship you tonight, may we come back to your word. Father, I pray that we would walk with you. I would also pray that, Lord, you would forgive us of our sins. We've blown it, God. We've sinned against you. We've trespassed against you. Lord, we've even committed iniquity against you. Forgive us, O Lord, and draw us back to your loving kindness. For your love is better than life. Thank you, God, for your word. We look forward for what you want to do in these next coming weeks. We pray and we lift up the book of Daniel, Lord, as we, as we just are excited to see what you have for us in the book of Daniel. 
but order our steps and go before us, Holy Spirit, so we can get as much out of your word and we can be obedient to your word, just like the psalmist says. Thank you for this amazing series. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message. We'd love to hear from you and see you in person at the church. You can find our contact information, location, and even give a donation at calvarychapellubbock.church. We'll see you next time on the podcast. Until then, may God bless you and your family.